Yo, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have DV, David Vibora, one of my favorite human beings on the planet, um, founder of the Adaptive Training Foundation in Dallas, Texas, um, phenomenal servant, great thinker, just a super heart forward guy. Um, I won't say too much about how we met because we tell the story in the podcast, uh, but if you've never heard of the Adaptive Training Foundation and you want to cry tears of joy at how much good is actually going on in the world that we don't get to hear about, check out Adaptive Training Foundation, the ATF, in Dallas, Texas. Um, amazing nonprofit doing amazing work, preserving human life, changing people's lives. I have seen the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. When I visited there, um, one of the most profoundly impacting things that I've ever experienced while traveling uh, was that fateful day that I went in there. And we'll get into how absolutely serendipitous it was that we even met each other. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, as always, the podcast is brought to you by Onnit, greatest company in the world. Um, the big Onnit product that I've been on recently is the Alpha Brain Focus Shots. Um, I take the pills when I take my human optimization pack, but the, the alpha brain, the focus shots, it's like think five hour energy vibes. You just drink it. It's fucking delicious. Uh, and it obviously acts a lot faster because you're drinking this little shot of liquid as opposed to having to metabolize uh, capsules and the powders therein. So they work really great. Drank one before this podcast, jazzed on one right now, which is why I'm talking super fast and making sense in a coherent manner. Anyway, without further ado, Mr. David Vibora. David Vabor, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. Good morning, dude. Be here, buddy. It's an early one. It's an early it's one. Perfect for us. Yeah, totally, man. Those that like to hit the gym while it's still dark outside. I know it, dude. You're. Um, I'm really excited to have you on here because you're one of my favorite people, and um, <clears throat> I don't know how much I want to reveal on the weird serendipity that occurred of us knowing each other. But it cool. was pretty. It was a pretty cool story. Are you cool if I tell everyone the whole deal? Have to, man. Have okay. To. So I uh, had been invited to to many different um, ayahuasca ceremonies over the course of a few years, and had always said no because it didn't feel right. And then my friend Dell was like, "No, bro, I'm telling you, like this is the one for you." And I just really vibed with Dale, so I trusted him and was like, okay, cool, man. If you're telling me that there's going to be a solid group of dudes there, he just kept saying, like, no, nah, dude, like, that, the alpha energy will be strong then. Yeah. And um, so in an unrelated situation, like a month later, um, this dude Mo reaches out to me and is like, hey, dude, you, I really want you to come to this gym that I work at. I think it'd be really inspiring for you. So I go and... Um, David will get into to what the gym is here in a little bit, but I just really hit it off with David and Mo. And then after uh, this workout, I was just like, man, these might be the coolest dudes I've ever met. Mo reveals to me uh, that him and David are also friends with Dell and that we were going to be sitting in the ceremony like a month later. And my brain fully exploded because we were in <laughs> Dallas, Texas. But um, yeah, dude, let's get into who you are. So you um well tell us who you are man i'm a, a classic kind of overachiever i'd consider myself an underdog in the in the football spectrum right i was always a kid who was talented but that question always hovered around me like yeah he's good but does he have what it takes to go to that next level 
I don't care if that was, you know, high school to college, college to eventually pro, but, you know, I, I became uh, in 2008, the honorable title of Mr. Irrelevant, which is handed out to the last <laughs> pick, the last pick of the NFL draft. And the funny thing is, is like, you should feel bad for the second to last pick because his signing bonus is just literally no different. And that dude doesn't get flown out to California, Disneyland, parades, driving Lamborghinis. Like they celebrate the last pick as if he's the first, right? Kind of a tongue in cheek kind of deal. But look, I didn't care. You could call me Mr. Anything you wanted. Right? I've been drafted in the NFL, um, went on to become a starter rookie year, which was really kind of changing the tide on the statistics around Mr. Irrelevant. But you know, give me a crack in the door, man. I'm going to seize that thing to the utmost. And, you know, football was my identity, Drew. Like, I dare I say I didn't know who I was without the game because everything in my life was revolved around success in football. Uh, not that I didn't care about people on the way to get there, but it was certainly like, you know, tunnel vision. And so when uh, catastrophic shoulder, in shoulder injury year five at the Seahawks ended my career, whoo, buddy something we share in common really took and sunk its teeth into me, which was addiction, gnarly opiate addiction, Xanax. I was really just doing anything I could not to look back at the person staring at me at the mirror who I really shit, man, didn't even recognize. So that beautiful rock bottom of being on a drug, drug, Utah, a drug detox floor at a hospital and really not knowing day from night, uh, having seizures, literally at physical war against these pills that I had enforced on my body. It was just like, man, who, what is the purpose in all this, man? Like, where do I, wh who's David without football, man? What is that identity crisis and how do I answer that question? Yeah, dude, it's, it's a resounding thing. I've had a lot of professional athletes on, on the podcast, mainly fighters, but I think dude, to get to that level that that is how it has to be. Right. Like I, I too struggled that with, with that with music where it was like, dude, I had like a three to five year period of my life where I was falling short as a parent, as a father, because my whole world and focus was music. How can I keep going? How can I make it bigger? And, um, and I think in athletics and in music, the reason that there's that parallel is that it's those few fields where so many people want it. So it's this like, even if you're not trying to be in competition with all these other people, you fucking are because yeah. they all want that job too. So it's this weird thing where I think like to get to it at a certain degree, it has to be your entire personality because yeah. if it isn't the guy next to you, who is, who it is this entire personality, like he's probably going to yeah. get it. Um, Dude, I was surfing one time with this cool pastor from Hawaii and he, right before he took off on a wave, Drew, he looks at me and he says, DV, we were talking about this same thing, kind of like the, yep. the, na the nature of genius or brilliance or being, you know, in balance in some area of your life for some level of greatness. And right as he takes off, he says, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And took off. I'm like, <laughs> so, so I had to unpack that while I'm waiting for the next set. And, and I think the point is, is like when we're blinded to our, our greatest attributes, they can tear us apart, right? Like mm -hmm. see yourself as a hero long enough, you become the villain, you know? And that, that's, I think the nature of realizing, man, I can't identify with only what I do or else it cheapens the worth of, of who I am. Yeah, dude. I think that that is a lot of that work uh, is expedited through ceremony. Like I found, I found, um, you know, especially post ayahuasca, like when having even like minor political discourse, 
like when someone says something to me like, well, yeah, but you're a cis white male. I'm like, but I'm not like, I actually don't identify as that thing. Like, yeah. I understand that you do, but behind that thing is something so much deeper and more complex. Yeah. Um, and that to me, like I, dude, after that ceremony, I have just been looking at my career as this thing where I'm just like, yeah, man, this is this kind of like boat. Yeah. And it's a cool boat and I'm happy to be on this boat and it will sail at some point it will dock and I'll get off. And guess what? Like I'll probably find another boat, you know, like at the, at the end of the day, I just like sailing, which is the ride. So it's like, um, well, so how did you go from, from football to, to start in the gym? Yeah. You know, the gym was the sanctuary for me. I mean, you know, you and I share that definitely in the mm -hmm. idea of some intentional pain for purpose, right? This idea yep. of like, Sweat psychology, man. The weights don't lie. They don't discriminate. They don't care your color, your, you know, your pocket weight, whatever that is. Uh, and so, you know, the gym was a natural thing. I'm like, I'm going to start a gym training athletes. I'd gotten clean, gotten um, some stuff surgically fixed, you know, was, was finally thinking about what, who, where does David use his skills outside of football? You know, where do those things still, still apply? And so um, I was training athletes from college, getting ready for the pros, some pro guys in their off seasons. And then, dude, one day, man, I'm at a surprise birthday party for a Navy SEAL buddy and, and in walks a guy without arms and legs and walks in on prosthetics. And I was certainly rude to whoever I was talking to because, like, the hot chick in the bar, I just beelined it for this dude. Interrupted whoever he was talking to and said, hey, when was the last time you worked out? And he said, man, I don't want to make you feel like an asshole. I don't have arms and legs. What do you mean work out? <laughs> and I didn't miss a beat. I'm like, man, I understand that. But even though your body looks different, like, why can't you tap back into that physicality? You're still an alpha. And he was like, man, ballsy, right? Like, who's this dude talking to me like this? And he fired back and said, man, you got experience? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and I just passionately said, man, but, but I'll tirelessly research, man. And I'll figure out a plan that makes sense for you. And pretty soon he was coming to the gym and, his fear of falling was desensitized and he was t you know, puffing his chest again. He was doing hundred pound sled pulls on these little short stubby prosthetics and instantly everybody in the gym, their excuses just went, yep, disappeared, dude. And perspective was brought. And suddenly I'm like, Whoa, where do people go? Like Travis Mills, Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, who I described as quadruple amputee, where do they go? You know, once the medical process has ceased, you know, they're kind of ostracized. There, there may be camps or clinics or things, but like, daily life right where is a cornerstone just like the gym is to us for them and yeah. i couldn't find anything so i i back then it was like dude i'm starting a not-for-profit that must seem easy shit ain't as easy as you think no <laughs> uh but i it, it really it, it birthed the adaptive training foundation eight years ago which is a totally cost-free gym training program it's a nine-week program and really drew you know this man and, and ceremonies like this although there's physical discomfort we're working on what's between the ears you know, and only through that sweat psychology can you empower them to see themselves differently than how they came in, right? It's just like, and this is what you felt, bro, right? Like that spiritual energy of like, yo, hey, come as you are, but don't expect to stay that way. And that's like, that's a calling, man. That's something of a like, and I think we all have a yearning for not just a sense of belonging, but for a sense of like new ridgelines, you know, like not just like, hey, I'm, I'm with my people, but like we're called as a people to do something collectively. And, and that's where we use the word tribe. And I think tribe is different than a team or a roster. I've been on that. Those are roles mm -hmm. and responsibilities around positions, man. But a tribe recognizes like, yo, you may be the most impaired athlete or the youngest one here or 
the least inclined to this, but you're an integral part to the sum of our success collectively. And holy shit, if people don't go, yeah, dude, I'm going to rise up. And that's what has birthed this amazing not-for-profit. Yeah, man. When I went there, I guess I didn't, I didn't, Mo didn't tell me shit. He just was like, hey, it's a gym. I'd love to put you through. Yeah, we try not to, man. Intensely, total sleep therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So when I walked in, I was kind of like, (laughs) what in the fuck is going on here? Like, I was like, I I feel, because I have all of my arms and legs, I feel out of place here. Yeah. But, But what you realize really quick is like, I, you know, I think I cried three times the like two and a half hours that I was there and not from pain. I made it through the workout. Adam threw up like a little girl, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but um, it was these little 15, 20 second stories when I would see someone working on a box jump and keep falling over. And then someone makes that box jump and Mo goes, yeah, dude, they told her that she would never walk again. And like, I'm like, damn, dude, she just jumped 24 inches. Like, what the fuck, you know, and, and just hearing everybody's stories in there. And uh, my favorite memory while I was there, I was at the very end of my workout doing sled pushes. I would do pulls down and pushes back. Dude, and my quads were on fucking fire, particularly my right one was just firing. And one of your guys' big power lifters that has a prosthetic, like full length prosthetic all the way up to his hip, jumped on the sled during my last push, you know, this guy's probably 350 with his missing leg. (laughs) And um, I was about to say, like, it popped up in my head, like, dude, you got to tell this dude to get off your quads on fire. (laughs) And I like looked up to say, yo, bro, you got to get off my legs on fire. I saw his prosthetic and was like, better not say that better just push (laughs) it, you know? Um, And, and just hearing everybody's stories. And then what was really cool was post pre and post workout, seeing the mindfulness that you guys bring to it too, because it's more than just like, don't be a pussy. I don't care about your injuries workout. It was a whole thing, dude. Yeah. You know, and um, tell me how you guys kind of took this holistic approach rather than just like, okay, cool. I see that you're missing your arms and legs. Like we can make a workout program for you. Like, yeah, it's been, dude, it's been, you know, invention, uh, what does it say? Necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, you know, again, through access and inclusive atmosphere at the gym, there was community built, empowerment through movement. But it was uh, after one of our big nine-week camps, we took 20 veterans to the mountains in Tahoe, skied, had an awesome time. And one of my guys who didn't live locally to Dallas but lived in Arizona, he, he was his last night in the hotel about to fly home. And he called me and it was late and he was basically hyperventilating and I heard him rack around with his handgun and he said, I'm not right. I can't trust myself. And I got in the car, booked it to him about 150 miles an hour. Um, We were able to get him into this mental uh, institution and psych ward and and three days it was until I could visit him. You better believe the second that that door opened, I was the first person in there to meet him. And, And his head was down. There was guilt and shame and just this grief that he just looked heavy. I grabbed this Marine by the face. I lifted it up, looked him in his eyes. And I said, brother, thank you. I said, thank you for speaking up and, and, and opening your mouth because what you don't realize is two other warriors from your same class, they just spoke up and said they, they weren't right either. And they're getting help too. So you not only might've just saved your life, right? This is a man with two kids and a beautiful wife and a family, but you also saved these guys. And pretty soon like the air of that started to lift. And when I, when I came back to, organizationally was going to Mo who runs this meditation mindfulness program 
who's an amazing being. This guy's such a force and has such an anointing. He's a gifted dude, right? And I said, Mo, we got to create something that, that equips him with tools as a whole person, not just physical stuff, not just community, right? But like, we need to work. And at that time, him and myself, we didn't even really have a meditation practice. So like, dude, we jumped in, you know, dove in the deep end and just said like, all right, Mo, you're taking this cert. I'm trying this. We're going to be committed to two, three times a day. Let's just figure it out. And so that's what we realized, like post-traumatic stress, for example, tears you from the present moment, right? So we, all of a sudden you're thinking about it. Oh, I would have, could have, should have in the past, or I would, could, or should in the future. If we can get them to ground themselves in the present moment. And it's funny, right? Drew, like some battle hardened combat Marine comes in and got blown up and you know, I, I got long hair. It's up in a ponytail right now, but I'll say, we're going to meditate today. They're like, get the hell away from me, hippie. I want mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. Right. Mm-hmm. You ain't getting, you ain't scrubbing in there. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, have you ever been, you know, behind a rifle, had to be conscious of your breath and your heartbeat to fire? Well, They're like, yeah, of course. Like, well, that's mindfulness. We're just going to now apply it in different areas of our life, whether that's, and this is for anybody listening, right? Car cuts you off in traffic. There's a trigger from this, this emotional pain or reaction you have in your life. Like it's in that moment to pause, get still, take that conscious inhalation and exhalation, and then choose differently. And I think that's the point is like this whole program that we built at the Adaptive Training Foundation is to shift them from extrinsic worth, value, and motivation to a deep intrinsic worth, value, and motivation. Therefore, whatever they do outwardly then is an expression of that and is in, in an alignment for them to show up as their best self. Not to say it won't be difficult, not to say it won't be maybe even more painful, but suddenly now there's an emotional resonance that aligns with the call behind it, right? Remember that calling? And that's where I think you see people that are just, man, they can endure well. And in fact, endure so much more than what they thought was possible because their mindset is never around victimization anymore. You know, that's a free human being, man. And it sucks that like a lot of people that are on autopilot out in this world, like unless catastrophe hit some type of a car accident or a tragic something, they're not going to change their life. They're not going to wake the hell up because it takes stimulus and some type of boom, break action thing to suddenly shift our perspective. What if that, again, back to ceremony and otherwise, what if you could, right, begin to dissolve your ego and see the world around you differently and then relate with a different level of choice? I think that's all what we want, but oftentimes we're so defiant in our belief of what somebody told us about us that we've bought into that agreement. We've fully accepted some lie that we weren't enough, that we could never blank. And now all of a sudden our actions have, have been embodied versions of that. I, I, you know, damn it, if I don't get passionate about this because I see people walking around, it's, it's like, yo, the prison door's unlocked. Just push on it. Just yep. push on the door. And they won't push on the door, man. And that, that's the thing that breaks my heart. And at the same time, it's not for me to convince anybody, right? Yep. It's for us to walk the path. Yeah, dude. And, and that's just it. You know, like for me, I guess I, I see victimhood as that there's this inherent belief that seems kind of standard that the, that the belief is, is that each individual is the center of the universe. Therefore, life is happening to us. Um, you know, I had a really fucked up childhood. and um, the big awakening moment for me was that when I shifted the idea of this had all happened to me into shit, perhaps this all happened for me to prepare me to be a good leader and say, no, 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 homie, I've been in the darkest mm-hmm. depths of the soul That's and it. I made it out. And, and that, and that life is, is this balancing of the scales 
So it's like, you don't, you don't know what good is unless you have the bad. And, and I think when everyone is going through life, uh, especially in a, in a world now where, you know, the victimhood Olympics are like <laughs> a, a thing and everybody's trying to get a medal. God. It's like, you know, everybody's trying to figure out and find the ways in which they're oppressed instead of finding, find and operate in the ways in which they're liberated. Ooh, um, preach. Um, good. So that's, I think that's what's so special about what, what you guys do is, is I, I, God, I forget what you said to me. You said something like, there is no sympathy here, only understanding and motivation. I think that was what you said to me. Yeah. So there's a box, right? So yep. there's a box of tape on the ground in the gym that we call the sympathy box. It says sympathy box on it and it says your excuses are invalid because like pity, sympathy, that's just victimhood, right? Like the idea of compassion, right? Hey, look, I see you, right? And, I, and there's a level of empathy, but you, you got to be careful to overly empathize, right? Because then you're sponging some level of a lower frequency, perhaps, rather than calling them, to your point, dude, I could have people write down the three most catastrophic, tragic things in their life and the three most joyous. They're always connected. Yes. Maybe not in the same calendar year, right? But they're yep. connected through this speck of time. So when we look through the pinhole, to validate our emotions or our feelings rather than shift our attention and our focus to something that then derives new emotions and feelings. We realize that like, dude, we have a lot more control than we think. Now that's not control over people, places, and things, but it's certainly control over the state to which we address them, receive them, engage with them. And that's, those are the type of people like Drew, you know, them, right. They could be crazy success for actors or entertainers or athletes, or just that, 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 grandmother that you see in passing at the grocery store and she carries herself with presence and grace. Yep. I think that great leaders have this, this still presence and peace that, that wells up in them so they can direct and discern orders at a rate that is, is largely, you know, advanced compared to most of humanity, especially if it's something like bullets are flying or there's, there's violence involved. So I, I think, you know, yes, our gym is an expression serving toward people with disabilities. But the, the findings that we're realizing is like, dude, these are human principles. These are human experiences, right? So if you look somebody in their eyes and treat them like a whole person, that person shows up. You treat them broken, they're going to act that way. And so I, I, this has made me a better husband. This has made me a better father, right? Like I see the little egoic nature of my kids show up and I go, ah, great. If I try to parent them the same way I was parented, I'm going to get nothing but the same results. What yeah. if I get a little curious, a little creative, and play a little bit of breadcrumbs Hansel and Gretel with them. Dude, it's amazing what kids with that opportunity to explore, how they will shift their own paradigm to discover it for themselves rather than to be told the lesson. Nobody wants to be told the lesson. We wanna be able to experience it. Then it shapes our beliefs, which changes our behaviors, which changes to a different result. That's sustainability. Yeah, man, I just, I seems like every few months I go through like a little power struggle with our 17 year old who just became a senior. Mm. And we were just kind of going through it. And dude, I was go like, I didn't talk to him for two days because I was like, man, I'm scared. I'm going to throw you off the deck. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then when I finally, you know, I waited till mom wasn't home till Malachi was sleeping. It was like, all right, come upstairs. Mm. And instead of telling him like, well, you do this, you do this, you do this. I just gave him like the full ring out of, my perspective and then and, which was essentially like look bro you know i do this that and the third just 
So you have the phone, so we have a house, so we have groceries. So, so much goes into this beautiful day-to-day -day existence that you get to coast through. So in that, there is a certain level of respect that I require from you that just nods and goes, thanks for my life. And when I shared that, like, dude, I thought he was going to start crying. He was like, well, shit, man. I never, you know, I never yeah. looked at it like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, so when we're- But you didn't, you didn't play the parent role. You leveled him that man to man, right? And it yes. sounds like at the timing of it, it, it was perfectly received, which means the next time that you have a chance to have a talk like that, all the more depth you're going to be able to go into, right? Like that's real leadership. Yeah. And, and explaining to him like, yo, man, no yelling, no bitching. Like when I feel like you are stepping out of line, my code for that, I'm just going to point at you and go, A, and yeah. you remember this conversation. Okay. So you come back to like, it's about respect. It's not about the sweeping of the floor. It's not about this. It's about this respect. Yeah. that there's a there's a recognized hierarchy that must exist here i recognize that you at 17 as a senior you want to hang out with your friends you want to do sure. this and i will give you that respect but it's got to be reciprocated you know because then because then we're building understanding and relationships rather than you know how i was parented under the under fear consequence yeah. discipline yeah. uh you do as i say not as i do and if you question what i say or what i do i'll punch you in the head yeah. you know and it's like yeah so there's, there's no respect there. You don't get, you're not looking at your parent as like, yeah, man, this is a down ass dude that I can relate to. It's this like, nah, man, that's Hitler. And I'm a mere soldier in his army. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, dude. Well, I, bro, I remember in ceremony, I think it was night two after you kind of had a, like from the parenting perspective like mm -hmm. that, like she, I'll let you tell the story, but I, I, that stuck with me, buddy. And, and it's funny, right? Cause that was your experience under the medicine. And just and I think it was in the, you know, the, um, the integration the next day where you, you shared about what you received there. And that stuck to me when I find myself being a little too hard on the kids. It's like, hey, be a little easier. And it's not necessarily that like my intention as to why I'm being a little hard on them is it because it's back to the respect. It's exactly what you just said. But the the way I'm executing it is author authoritarianism rather yep. than saying, hey, if I treat them as an equal, perhaps this lesson will be received and not repeated. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So, so what had happened in ceremony was I was like going through it super, super heavy and, and night one and night two were similar in that. Like I went, I went in expecting to have my entire world like ripped apart and rocked and it was going to be this like uh, dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what it was for me. Like night one was really being guided through, like, look at everything you've been through and look at the person you've become through it. So uh, it, during the recap, it was very scary because I was like, fuck, dude, why are we looking at this right now? <laughs> you know, and it was her just kind of guiding me and being like, you went through all of this and look at the man that you are right now. Like, stay the course, dude. Do not deviate from the course. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. And then night two was similar, little deeper dive into it. But at the end, it was like, I was struggling and just kind of laying in the fetal position. And I finally was just like, all right, man, fuck me up then. And like rolled to my back. And she was like, essentially like, thank you for your surrender. And I'm going to let you go now a little easier on the kids. Okay. And I was just like, whatever. Like, yeah, that is totally fine. If that's all I have to do to get your claws out of my face, like it's totally fine. Like, yes, I'll be nicer to my kids. But yeah, like you said, it's not even a, it's not even a nicer, you know, like I'm a big fan of Jocko Willink and, and I've, and I've read his books and I think there's this idea of leadership being 
like you said, authoritarianism, like, nope, here's the hierarchy. I am at the top of the hierarchy. You follow my commands. Whereas like reading Jocko's stuff, you know, you embody that at, at, at your gym so well. It's like, no, I'm simply a facilitator of, of what we're going to do, which means I need your strength. I need your mindfulness. I need your this. It's the, it's the assembling of the team and the empowering of the people around you. Like that's a leader's job. It's not to boss people around. It's to bring the best out of the people that are around. That's um, a leader, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and seeing the way you guys did that at the gym, like I said, dude, I just, that place moved me more than any ceremony, more than any other place I've been. And I was there for fucking two and a half hours. I just couldn't believe that that was real. And the, the big thing for me was that was, um, that was like post-election, that was post an entire summer of fucking riots and looting and shit like that. And just this inundation of the news of all of the negativity happening in the world. And later that night I cried again because I was laying in bed and just thinking like, fuck dude, this is happening every day. They didn't just put a show on for me. That motherfucker's open every day. And I know those are not the only people out there doing that work. Yeah. And it made me start crying like, tears of joy where I was just like, dude, there's so much good happening in the world, but good doesn't, doesn't move the, the ratings yeah. needle. So yeah. it's like, there's all of these amazing people like yourself below the radar that are doing this work every day, changing people's lives, empowering people, shedding victimhood. And, and I mean, dude, to, to go from, I'm never getting out of this wheelchair and all of the pathological traits that come with that, that say, no, man, my life is forever altered. There's a, there's a darkness to that, that says, no, man, this is my life as is. And I'm just the wheelchair guy now. To opposed to like, yeah, dude, well, you might be the wheelchair guy, but here's a list of 80 things that we can do with you. <laughs> the, the, the rippling effects of that, like we're talking about as a parent, as a partner, as just a fucking citizen of earth. Like I just was overwhelmed with the amount of goodness. Um, that that is just happening, that, that's, that you guys are doing that work every day and that no one knows about it, um, which I guess is a really good segue into when I was there, you guys were filming. Um, yeah. And I know, I know there's some aspects of it that you can't talk about, um, but are, can you talk a little bit about the film? Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've been working on a project. Actually, it's, it's extending it into a docu-series. So imagine, right, you've got 10 to 12 athletes missing limbs, spinal cord injury, neurological disease from all different walks and backgrounds of life. They come in for this nine week training program. The 10th week they go and bomb it down this mountain, adaptive skiing or snowboarding, so on. And then many of which come back to train the new cycle and the new class. So the character development from an audience perspective, right? Where one goes from consumer to contributor and they have this, this hero's journey, man. And it's not linear at all. It's, it's like, you know, our program is built to stress them. I've taken from football, I've taken from growing up in church, I've taken from things of abuse. I've, I've looked at areas that like, there's not one thing that we do that isn't cited in as intentional and meaningful as possible. Even if the person on the receiving end has no idea why or what the thought was behind it. So I think the, the centrifuge that is this gym and the principles that are applied is I think consistent with, you know, championing or, um, helping to elevate people in any walk of life. And what I say is it's like, you know, you don't have to be that person that sells it all to move to Cambodia to start an orphanage. You just yeah. got to use that thing that you're a little bit stoked about the thing that fires you up. Maybe it's mountain climbing. Maybe it's, maybe it's crocheting, right? I don't care what it is. 
go find somebody that is enduring a similar mindset of suffering or victimization or just damn right pain and use that thing to help stoke their fire and change their attitude and their energy. Um, and, and again, it's, it's often, I just feel like that's when you're in that vein, it's that co-creating with the universe. Like time doesn't really matter. It kind of disappears and your best and highest use if you're present is going to be sharing in some sacred experience with some other human that you may have just met or that you may be talking to for the first time, or you may, that you may have been mountain biking with 20 for 20 years. But as soon as you start to disidentify with the way that you've identified previously or told that you were supposed to be right. Cause I think people, sometimes they go, this is what I was told I was supposed to think. So I'm going to think this way. They never challenge that. They just literally go through life without that. If you can challenge that question and use what excites you to deal hope to somebody else, I promise the path will clear itself up. And to the point earlier that the idea of like, it's either happening to me or for me, you know, Albert Einstein was the one that said, you know, I got to look at life as either nothing's connected or everything is connected. I choose the latter. And when I do that, Drew, hell, I was doing a speech for a big mortgage company two weeks ago here in Dallas. 45 minutes, I tell that story, whatever. The guy opened for Q&A, first guy raises his hand. Says, hey, uh, I have a, uh, a cousin. She just lost her leg about a month ago. He's talking, dude, I don't know this guy. I don't know that, but I know that there's a girl named Courtney Fields who's an above knee amputee who lost her leg about a month ago. And I know that I just met her last week in my gym and she's going to be in our next class. So I listened to a prompt, not in my head, but in my gut that says, interrupt this guy. And I stop, I go, sir, sir sorry to interrupt you. I bet her name's Courtney Fields. I bet she's a left below knee or above knee amputee. And guess what? She starts our class September 20th. And the whole place, everyone in the audience is like, come on, man. No, no. Right. But I, I have 150 stories like this in the last two weeks. It's not because I, I have some superpower or, or maybe it is. And the superpower is presence and a willingness to believe that the miracle's right in front of me. I just have to be able to receive tune into what the hell's going around me? And there's a little bit level of insanity in that, or dare I say alchemy, right? I think we- mm, That's a way better word. Dude, the mysticism, the, the mystical, I like to live in that vein, man. And it, 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 we, if we use science, and this is what I love about entheogens, right? And it kind of crossover with how we met in the ceremonies that we've shared, because there's this scientific thing that we know metabolizes to take us on this experience. And yet, Everything beyond that, those levels of consciousness, you can't pretend that science can explain one iota of them. So you have to dance between the tug of war or the tension of the same truth that is the paradox of life, right? You, you, you can't feel the immense pure ecstasy, happiness, and joy without having felt disappointment, right? Disdain and, 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 a, and a lacking peace that makes you realize that, wow, it's all connected. And if I can just surrender, damn it, if I, I hate that word, I hate it. I hate it more than anything, but the, the, the act of it is always the thing that helps me to elevate to the best possible self I can. So damn it if it's not true, even though it's cliche. Yeah, man, that to me, that's what's so funny about those medicines too, right? Is I'm, I'm, I'm a real pragmatic dude. So like, you're a skeptic. That's what you yeah, are. Yes. I'm a hundred percent a skeptic. So yeah, I mean, anything that I hear I'm taking with a, like, I will smile at you and nod my head and do my own research later. Yep. And, um, you know, I went into to ceremony with this, like, okay, I have a, a, an immense experience with, with all of these other um, consciousness modulators. 
So I understand the deal here. I'm taking, uh, I, I'm, I'm taking something that is going to light up parts of my brain that usually aren't lit up. Uh, that is what this substance is doing. Like, you know, here is the, here's the biological breakdown of what's about to occur. And that is not what occurred. It was like, <laughs> oh, this is, this is not that at all. This is, actually, uh, this is actually a door that I chose to walk through, crawl through. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I immediately gave into that of like, oh, this is not that. This is something different. And I guess I'm here for it. Um, you know, it's that, it's the thing of like, I, I just think of like on a small level, man, you know, I hurt my neck very, very badly a few years ago, a couple yeah. years ago now. Um, and I have no control over this thing, man. I have no idea, you know, for the past four or five months, I have felt like a fucking animal. I've been training at a hundred percent, lifting at a hundred percent. My weight's back up. I'm at 180 again. I feel as strong as fuck. And two days ago, man, I woke up and was like, fuck, I can't move my arm. Here's this immense pain. Mm -hmm. And every time this happens, I just have to go like, okay, this too will pass. As you said to me in ceremony, every storm runs out of rain. And, that, mm -hmm. and that's, that's inevitably what this injury does. It will put me down for three to seven days and then I'm back. So it's this riding of the wave. And, and my coach, Will Grunhauser, always reminds me that this injury was a gift to me. It was to keep me in check because prior to the injury, I was not in check. Anybody that I grappled with, I was trying to kill. Um, I didn't care what rank you were, what gym you were from. If you were fucking Will's best friend, I didn't care. My job was to kill you so I could get promoted faster. And, um, you know, I remember coming to the gym, a, a few, this was probably two weeks two weeks before, um, before the injury really happened. And um, he came up and said to me, and I think of Will as one of my closest friends. And he said, bro, when you came to the gym, you were this refreshing energy, right? Everyone knew you as this musician. We were all previously like just in the transition out of becoming these fucking animals. That's what our gym was known for. Yeah. Violence, completely yeah. unhinged violence. If you came to the grindhouse and you survived, then you could be on the team. That was the vibe. And in the middle of that transition, as Will started having kids, he was kind of softening himself. So he's like, I feel like you came at this right time. And then you became the monster and you became this person that we all didn't like, where you were like, we were all like, fuck dude, this dude is not who we thought he was. Like he brings this fucking darkness in here. And he said to me one day, you need to figure out who the fuck it is you're fighting because it ain't anybody in this gym and you're not allowed to fight them here anymore. Hmm. Hmm. And my identity so quickly had become jujitsu in the grindhouse. And this was my only fucking thing because even music had taken a backseat. I was like, I don't give a fuck. You tell me when I have to go on tour again, this is my focus. And then that injury came. And when I came in, Will was like, dude, you're not allowed to be here for a couple months. You need to get the fuck out of here and figure out yeah. your whole situation. So it's like, again, that not happening to me, but for me. So anytime the injury flares up, I always take it as this opportunity of like, okay, this does suck. Undoubtedly, this sucks. But what's the lesson here? Why is this firing up right now? What have I been doing? And, yeah. um, and it allows me to check back in. Um, and I know that, that you had, the, had, a, had a similar injury. You and I have yeah. talked in, in length about how you dealt with yours. And um, 
I, dude, I think there's a weird balance of that, like, because of not in spite of, right? Like, you and I, we're guys that can certainly use force to achieve what we want. But our greatest power, perhaps, is in not doing so, right? So, like, because of not in spite of, right? Because you can go, in spite of that neck, I'm an animal and I'll kill anybody. Like, is that it? No, 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 no. In fact, the lesson of your, dare I say, immortality, excuse me, mortality <laughs> would be, dude, like you're human too. When you can't use the easy to grab weapon, which is force, yep. right? What is it to like Jordan Peterson and whether you feel, however you feel about Jordan Love Peterson, him. He's a smart, Love him. smart dude, right? Yep. His idea of meek, the meekness, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. I love his translation. He says, it's like having a sword, knowing how to use it, but keeping it sheathed, right? That's what your neck has been for you. And if that's a metaphor or anything in life, that, that should prove to you that when inherent pain, chaos, disruption shows up, trying to figure it out isn't where your greatest power is sourced, right? Transcending it through the use of breath work for the physical pain right mm -hmm. being able to look at and use your energy that day at a lower register but done in a maybe a more meaningful way dare i say with family or you know an intimate relationship or so on like there's different ways that the the real you know grist of why we're called to have setbacks adversity difficulty it, it's i just think it's like shedding the skin to step up on top of it to get a little bit new vantage point Right. And sometimes those skins are stacked perfectly. Sometimes they all like the damn crate challenge you see going on right yep, now yep. with people just eating shit. Like that's how I feel sometimes. I'm like, how many more skins is it going to take? Well, man, it's not about quantification. And that's something I've learned. And maybe now more than ever in my life, being I'm 35 with three kids, it's like anytime I quantify something, there's a destination thinking that's going to rob me of the joy of just being present with what the hell I'm doing at that time. It's like, fuck, it's easy. Simple, not easy. Yes. Yeah. Brady and I talk about that all the time. Simple, not easy. Cause you see, you know, like we're talking about, yeah, you see all these people where it's like, dude, it's so easy to complete your flip your thinking on its, on its head. And then you're living an entirely different life. That's meaningful and present. Or it's like, no, dude, that's not an easy thing to do. The answer is simple, but the enacting of it is not easy. Um, dude. So one thing that I'm, that I absolutely love about what you do is there there's a there's an organization that i've worked with for four or five years now called um unlikely heroes and they rescue young girls from um the sex trade and you know they provide them with counseling and all the things and they get them in school and they keep them in these safe houses but um the thing that really makes me excited about that 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 ties to what you do is there's this level of recidivism right like almost every single girl that they save then goes on to work to save more girls yep um and i i think that that's that's like the fractal nature of humanity and i think that's how you know that you're doing something good is when it is fractaling out um talk a bit about uh, kind of how that goes because i know yeah like you said that there's a lot of people that you guys help that then go like holy shit can i give this to the next guy yeah. You know, and then it makes it so much easier when you walk in, I would imagine, 
like if I was missing a leg, it would be cool to hear it from you of like, hey man, this is what we do here. But if another guy walked up missing a leg and he's like, yo bro, this is what we do here. I'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to you. Dude, 100%. Those closest to the issues are best suited to solve them, right? That's why like in government and otherwise not to go on a rant here, but like top down shit doesn't work. Nope. It has to be bottom up empowerment. And you know, uh, fuck, I love Robin Hood, right? Like I, I, got, I got a lot of that in me, right? But like, there's just this for our athletes and how it boils back to them is, is, you know, if we can get them to see that, like they come in an orientation, perfect example, you know, they're, they're, they're really timid and their body postures down and then they share, they tell their story, but they say it as if like, I just want to feel normal again. I just want to get back to being, being like myself. I'm like, hey, cool. Yeah, thanks for that. Like, if I walked up to you and tried to give you a compliment, I was like, man, you're just really normal. What a shitty compliment. Right? Like, like, but let's just stop. And I stop everybody and I get a little fired up. And I'm like, how about we use the word uncommon, right? Or unique. Like, anything that's because, like, dude, the part of you that's going to call people to stare, because sorry, right, wrong, or indifferent, this brain, it seeks for symmetry, scans a room every four seconds. You're missing a leg, you're in a wheelchair, you're filling the blank, a little person of this or that, people are going to notice. Now, what do you do with that? I made a shirt at one time. It says pressure is a privilege because in that moment, right? You have an opportunity, an opportunity. And if you can share your story as proof that you're going beyond it, you truly defy impossible. You know, it's a, it's a moniker. We have it up at tube lights, right? At our gym, big backdrop. It says defy impossible. It's a sexy marketing topic or term, but we really believe that. And we watch doctor diagnosis get eclipsed time and time again. Yep. So in the eyes of these athletes, I think that the bigger vision for me, you know, they're, they're handed victim on a silver platter. Take your pills, take your disability benefits and just go sit on the couch, go away. You know, what I'm doing now is we're creating this hybrid model. So, you know, we do what we do in our programs in-house is like the laboratory. Now as we've got these, you know, unique findings specific to individualized pathology and limitation, now we're gonna scale this as if like masterclass and Camp Gladiator had a baby. But instead of the grocery store parking lot, it's a digital infrastructure, self-directed learning videos specific to their impairments. And once a week they go live with an alumni trainer that's graduated our program. And that trainer gets paid to serve people with, with like abilities, right? Dealing with you know, the same type of narrative or experience that they had. So to the point of girls in sex trade being able to be the best ones to you know, preach that gospel. Hell yeah. I mean, that's what we're doing with these adaptive athletes. And, you know, in the sense that like, dude, I'm with you. There's, there's an abundance of new opportunities. I can't regrow your legs, but even if I could, is that really the answer? Nah, man, the legs aren't it. You have a gift right now. And dude, let's just dream bigger than what you ever thought was possible. Those types of people and watching, I mean, one of our sit ski mono skiers. Yep. He, uh, he just, it's not out officially yet, but the film is, he just threw a double backflip in his ski and landed it. And he went back to the place where he had originally broke his neck snowboarding to do it. You know, um, at, at Kings and Queens Jesus. in Wyoming and Jackson, he shot the, the, the Corvettes, the strip, whatever. The Cor no the shit. Yes. 80 fucking feet down, boom. And then bounced out of the powder and rode out. So, you know, it's the idea that, yeah, it's impossible until somebody does it. And then it's eclipsed time and time again. And we see this in extreme sports. Now we're seeing this in adaptive sports, seeing it in the Paralympics. I'm just excited because, you know, humanity as a whole, we have such a, I think, primed position right now amidst all of this chaos, anarchy, and, and distrust 
to just connect with somebody and hear me, man, if you're listening to this just today at a grocery store, hold a door, right? Stop to help somebody back out. Like take that normal mundane interaction and make it meaningful today, if not just today. And trust me, the, the energy exchange, what that'll breed back to the fractals or the ripples, like you'll have no idea how far those will reach. And, and that's not up to you. So don't try to look and see where they go because it's just about you doing it for that person because you can, not because you have to, right? not because you should, right? It's because you get to. Mm-hmm. That opportunity will be gone and then there'll be another one. And if you can act on as many of those as possible, I guarantee your life is going to trend in a really positive direction. Well, yeah, dude. And there's that end of the day where you have those little check-ins before you go to sleep. And, and the ones that don't feel good is where you're like, man, I did not handle that well. I was a dick. Where when you look back at your day and you're like, nah, man, I helped that lady. I did this. Yeah. You're like, man, I feel good. You know, and it makes you want to do it again the next day. You know, one thing that's the, that you said that was really interesting is like, when I first hurt my neck, man, I went to I saw two surgeons and a spinal specialist. All three of them said, you need immediate emergency surgery that we should schedule it now. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first guy, um, they wanted to do a fusion. And I said, okay, well, you know, what does jujitsu look like? And he's like, well, no, dude, the human neck was never meant for grappling anyway. Um, and and you, no, dude, there will be no grappling after this. I said, well, man, I guess that's kind of where our conversation ends then. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Have a good one. Then I see the second guy and he goes, well, if we did a disc replacement, then you could keep your range of motion. But I don't think jujitsu would be in the card, man. Anytime we have hardware by the spine, it can move. Okay, man, I appreciate your opinion. Thank you for your time. And then when I saw the specialist, he's like, well, we could go in from the back and we could do this. But again, man, uh, the issue then becomes you getting hit in the head. And I was like, well, man, getting hit in the head is a pretty huge part of my weekly life. So <laughs> again, I thank you for your time. And then I went and saw this integrative therapist and they were telling me not all of these people were saying, you shouldn't be lifting weights. You shouldn't be doing anything. You should just be chilling and relaxing. And I went and saw this integrative therapist and I was like, well, man, they were showing me all of this data, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, walk into a Walmart, man, and look around. That's who we're pulling data from. He's like, if we walked into the grindhouse and we looked around and we pulled data from them, we'd be getting different numbers. So he's like, these people are treating you like a normal person. And the vibe I'm getting is that you're not very fucking normal guy. <laughs> nope. And, and he was the first one that was like, can you do pushups right now? I was like, yep. He's like, can you pull yourself up on TRX bands? I was like, well, yeah, if it's a higher angle. He said, cool, then when that's what we're going to do, we'll gradually move the TRX bands down. He was the first person that was like, no, dude, you can exercise. We just have to find what you can do. Sick. And if something makes something hurt, then we stop doing it and find something else. And it was like, what a concept. Right? I know, I know, dude. And it was so crazy where I was just like having the conversation with this guy who's, a, who's an integrative therapist and a chiropractor. Yeah. And he said, I initially wanted to go in to be a spinal surgeon. But I was like, okay, so then my job is in limbo of like pretty much convincing people that they need surgery when a lot of times they don't like, he's like, you know, you can go wrong, dude, hundred percent. Absolutely. And, um, and my dear friend, Jake Gedkin, who I went to high school with another integrative therapist and his wife is a spinal surgeon and they were Skyping with me. And then all of a sudden I had assembled this team that was like working with me as a me rather than me as a number. And, um, you know, I remember him saying like, you know, the, there's all of these data, this data of like, okay, well, if we do this surgery or we go it by the book, 
we have five years that show that you're going to have less pain, but we don't know what happens after five years. You know, something tells me you're still going to be want to get in after it after 40. And it's like, so there, it's just all of these, these, these approaches and, and, and knowing that the, the option's still there. Right. Which is yeah. like, okay, well, I'm going to try all of these other things before I do this. Cause yeah. who knows, maybe I do have to have the fucking surgery, but let Dude, me medical advances are going to keep improving right like i think that you know it's ironic to me drew the person that has like hail damage right and they'll get 10 quotes on their house for repairing the roof but the first doctor that's like we need to cut on your neck or your shoulder like oh my god you're right it's like totally but dude i i see i see how they do it though because when i first went in man i remember laying on the mri thing and it was so uncomfortable to lay on my back in that way that I had tears rolling down my face. So I get the selling point of like, Hey dude, we could do this. And you're like, literally, yeah, you're like, you, you will wake up and be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. That's not pressing on my spine anymore. That feels really nice. Dude. There's, if anybody's listening that is, is a believer in, in Dr. Joe Dispenza, they're going to resonate yeah. with this, but his, you are the placebo. I mean, the guy has a broken spine and stays in the same position for six months literally visualizing it, healing itself and walks out after they told him like, you, you're never going to walk out of here without this surgery, much less like you're going to be paralyzed, you know? And, but dude, I just, I got, I wrote this down the second you said it. Cause me, that doctor that you said, the integrative therapist, right? Me as a me, not me as a number. Like, dude, if you are going through life anywhere in your life and you feel like you're in an, an industrial line, right? I don't care if it's your job, your church or whatever, stop just stop, literally stop doing it. If, you, if it's your job and you don't have any other contingency, like maybe responsibly stop. <laughs> yeah. but, but like, dude, I'm sorry, you have one life. If there's anywhere that you feel like you're transacting with people or they're transacting with you, life's too short, man. You're cheapening your worth as a human being, right? Not as a human doer. It's not about the way that you punch the clock. It's about the time that you're spending, the wealth that you're accruing and experience. And I, that's fine. You could say, David, oh, you played in the NFL. Your bank account's okay. You're at a point. Dude, I promise, and my wife hates this. I don't know what's in our bank account right now. She hates this because, you know, as a married couple, there's, there's a need to be on the same page. And, but I've told her since the day we met, when I had very little money in my bank account or when I felt like I had a lot in my bank account, I never allowed it to change the way that I'm doing my actions, what I'm choosing to do. You can monetize just about anything. So if somebody's on the fence about taking that leap of faith or deciding differently today, like Drew is a perfect example. And somebody who will continue to um, identify, unidentify, re-identify, rebirth yourself as an artist, as a fighter, as a father, because that's what we're called to do. You know, we're called to evolve and do so in a way that betters those things that we say we care about. So if you care about your car, don't expect me to care about it. Right? You better wash that thing. You better vacuum it out yourself. If you care about this country, you better do the same damn thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And not perfectly. Nobody has a roadmap for how to do it perfectly. Just decide that it matters. And that goes back to that same thing. If you're treated as a number, not as a, as a person, you need to decide how you can take governance over that and not allow your power to be taken like that. Yeah, man, I think that's super important. That's always been the guiding force of my life. Like when I look at my life as a whole, my only fear, my only quantifiable fear was a cubicle or a tie or just being told like, hey, this is how you must operate, you know? And for me, it was always this visions of like, 
the counterculture was always that thing, dude, whether it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be a hell's angel or I guess, <laughs> you know, it was like, I have to find some sort of thing that is so anti that, that I can operate in it, you know, and do thank God for music. Cause it allowed me to do it in a much safer way. Um, so how did you guys um, find our music? Cause dude, to yeah. me, um, obviously I want Satsung to continue to grow and, and, and touch as many lives as possible, but it's, it means more to me when life changers are are finding this music and, and connecting with it. It means so much more to me than than anything else. Like I guess what I'm saying is that if my career does not progress past this point and the people that find it from here on out are only people that need it, not people mm -hmm. that are just like, oh, this is good tunes, I like it. Um, yeah. I'm completely okay with that because um, the amount of messages that I've received of people being like, yo, I was going to kill myself. And then I found this music. So I'm like, okay, I'm using my gift yeah. to preserve human life. And I think about what you guys do, you know, and I remember when you came to the show in Dallas, you sent me a text and we're like, Hey, had to go check on a veteran, had to leave the show early. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I was just like, to me that, that, I don't give a fuck whether you're in some sort of political movement or what your thing is. Our goal should always be uh, to enhance and preserve human life. Um, and that's what you, that's what you're doing. Um, so how did, how did you guys find the music? Yeah, man, I was in an Uber with my wife in Austin, Texas and uh, our Uber driver, uh, one of your, I am was on and it was probably gosh, 2017, something like that. 16, 17, 17, probably. What year did you record I Am? I think 2016. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Probably, probably early 2017. And uh, I asked him to turn it up. And his response was, ooh, yeah, love this jam. Like, this guy's like 65. Long hair, gray hair, right? like socks and sandals. Like, I grew up in Eugene, Eugene Oregon. So I'm like, yeah. this, is my, this is my people's. I love all yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he says, I call this my new hippie movement music like new age hippie music. And I remember just being like, I just thought it's just a cool jam, you know? And the yeah. way the words in it, there was, you know, there's the music and then there's the way the lyrics brought the music home. And then as I started to hear the words, I think my wife and I would just basically put on your, you know, your playlist, right? And just let it roll. And I just have having to rewind it. I'm like, dude, the way this guy's using these lyrics and then after looking you up and now ultimately meeting you and like the way you roll jujitsu and just the, the passionate but yet curious lifelong learner that you are, man. Mm -hmm. I see the way that and your new album and just the way that you've evolved that message and done so through your own personal vantage points or access. Like, I, dude, you're talking about when we talk about being vulnerable, you know, in the gym, you may miss a lift, you may fall down, you may look like an idiot, but when you're putting your life through music, and lyrics, words that are going to be received in different ways and translated, I think yours have a universal, more than most of late, have a universal way of unifying, even when it's saying something that you may not agree with. And that I think is the mark of somebody who has a calling and a talent that is so much bigger than selling records you know, and to your point about your music, even beyond your life. So I think that like all of that led me to then come back to kind of, you know, home in Dallas. And that music was like the thing I would turn on when, you know, I'll turn on podcasts or books, audiobooks, other things when I run and otherwise, but 
yours was the closest thing to almost like uh, what I would consider like worship. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, not in that Christian, like sing along way, but in a way that each line drove home why the last one mattered. And I, I man, it's hard to find singer songwriter stuff. Ultimately you, then I, I started seeing Trevor's stuff and started to unpack this whole new level of very kind of conscious music. And that, that man has just been a gift to so many, man. And, and I'll say this, dude, I got to compliment you, you know, Anytime you're coming out of something as powerful as an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, it, it, I don't even know where my hands are uh, sometimes <laughs> or my body at all. And for you to be willing to pick up a guitar at the end of the ceremony and be able to sing, man, I can take a deep breath because I'm going to get emotional. Like, uh, you know, Justin Wren, right, is sitting in between us. And I know, I know Justin's story about, I think he was just on the pod and shared his story about, you know, t- trying to take his life. Yep. And what your music has been for him. And then for you to share that, like, I was just so, I still, it's so visceral. I got goosebumps right now. Cause I'm, I'm just, there's some gift in it. And you all, if you, if you guys aren't listening to Satsung at that level, turn it on and just let it permeate through your bones because it's, it's going to shift something for you and have something in there spiritually. Dude, what's so funny too, is you're the only person that heard my response uh, when the facilitator first asked me to play. She's like, hey, would you play a couple songs for the thing that I loved about that weekend was after um, night two, the next day was when people finally came up and were like, hey, dude, I've been listening to your shit for a long time. I just wasn't trying to blow up your spot. And it felt really good for me to be in a place where I was like, okay, I'm not this thing. Yeah, we're all just doing this, doing this work here. And I kind of went in with like, dude, I hope they don't ask me to play. And then when she first asked and I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm too high. Like, there's no way, like I can't, I can't play guitar right now. And it was pitch black. And then um, the, the thing that came to me was like, dude, you have no idea what playing might do for somebody else in this room. You should probably play. So then I was like, okay, cool, man. Like this, this is my, I just got so much over the past 48 hours. Here's my opportunity to give something back. So I'm just going to try. Dude, can I tell a quick story in that vein? Mm-hmm. So uh, it was night three in the drug detox unit, and um, I couldn't control either end. I'd had two seizures, kind of came to, and there was a plate of food in the, under a hospital, you know, the cover on the little yep. tray. And I thought, man, if I can force some of this food down, maybe I can find some relief. And so I went to try to grab, and my hands were literally like freaking rigor mortis. I couldn't even, they were so taut. I couldn't even barely grab the food. And when I tried to, to try to carry it, it, I fell with it. It fell. Shattered plates. Fucking tuna casserole. Nobody yeah. likes tuna casserole. No. <laughs> cold hospital tuna casserole. And I, I, I drew, I'm on the floor and I'm, I'm ashamed, dude. I'm, I'm broken and I'm crying and I'm, I'm scraping up the broken plate and the tuna casserole. And these two nurses rushed in and I thought they were going to help me clean it up. And instead they, they restrained me. I couldn't even, they were tiny. They couldn't even keep them off of me. I was that weak. And they thought I was going to try to use the broken plate to, to cut my wrist. Oh, true. Bro, so in this moment of what I would consider complete rock bottom, to get me back in bed, now I have to be in the psych eval, I'm tied down, like just the, the, the worst, right? Like, how did I get here? And I'll never forget it. I like get back to my room finally when they realize I'm not a suicide threat. And this male nurse comes in, he clicks on the lights. Like worst possible thing you could ever do to somebody who's coming off of an abundance of opiates, right? Mm-hmm. And he, bam, he turns it on. And I'm like, ah. And he said, all right, well, 
you ready to get up and uh, start to talk to some of the other people in here? And I drew, I was like, what if they find out who I am? Right. I play for the yep. This is all ego, right? It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so important. I'm hiding out here. This isn't about, and he yeah. literally, he just looked at me and just kind of was like, I think you have a lot more to offer than you realize and walked out. So now I'm sitting here in the worst state I could feel like I've ever been in. And I just remember those words. You may have something to offer. Have something to offer. I'm like, finally, it was like viscerally, like, dude, I could feel my body moving even though I didn't want to. And I went room to room. There's a heroin addict here. There's a alcoholic withdrawing bad here. There's a, these people didn't know, didn't care who I was. They're in their own pit of destruction and purgatory. And for me just to sit by their bed and go, hey, can I get you anything? Yep. It got me out of my shit. Yep. All of the pain that I thought I was dealing with suddenly went, oh, it's not that bad. And damn it, if I didn't just go, man, you're right. Like, again, is there a time and a place for healthy boundaries? And you, yeah, of course, right? But whether it's a gift of music, the crocheting, you know, the gym is a sanctuary, whatever, use that part that you can, that you can do to lift somebody up, man. And it's going to shift all of what you thought was waged against you to see why it's all for you. Yeah, man, it's, it's cool to hear that story because I, one of the most, it wasn't like a great awakening for me. It was my greatest moment of shame. So when I went into rehab, I only remember a little bit because I, I tried to kill myself, which then became this thing of like, okay, well, there's no more bullshit. I have to agree to go to rehab. Like there's no, I can't talk my way out of this one. But I thought it was going to like be a few days. It would take a few days to get everything lined up. And then it was like, no, dude, you get on a flight tomorrow. So that next flight, I, I think my flight, it was like nine or 10 in the morning. I set a phone alarm. Um, you know, I stayed up doing cocaine all night. And then I think I slept for like an hour or two, but I set an alarm so I would have time to have a few drinks before I went to the airport and then spent the last of my money drinking at the Denver airport before I came to Billings. So when I rolled into detox, I was, it was late and I was pretty drunk. And um, I remember they took blood. And I remember the next morning, um, I was shaking real bad. And I went out there and I remember the nurse was talking to my dad and she was crying. And I like sat down in this wheelchair to kind of be a smart ass and like wheeled up to him and was like, you know, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she was like, dude, your enzyme count in your liver is like, pre-cirrhosis like this is what we see in in alcoholics that are you know in their 40s and 50s and I like did the math I was like well yeah dude I've been drinking every day since I was like 14 15 years old so that makes sense um and then they as I was doing my intake thing the guy saw my handshake and he stops the intake and from then on out they were just giving me volume and the only memories that I really have of detox is this guy Ben would come in and he'd stand me up butt-ass naked and they changed my sheets, which were covered in sweat. And then I'd realize I was wet. They put me back, they give me the pill. I take a drink of water and then I'd lay back down. But that, that moment where I was finally done detoxing, I think it was three days. I remember I went and looked in the mirror and I was wearing a, a hospital gown that was open in the back. And I just looked in the mirror like, how the fuck did you get here, man? Like, and it just the, that feeling of this is square one. You hear people say, like, you gotta get back to square one. I'm like, this is square one. This is as fucking starting point as you can get. You know, like I'm dead here. Like I, and, and then you realize, like you said, man, when you start hearing other people's stories and bopping around, you're like, oh man, we're all fucked here, huh? 
Yeah. You know, so there's this, you know, much like the gym, there's this unifying factor of like, okay, man, well, we're all in this thing together. And the end goal is the same is to get better. Um, yeah, man, I've, uh, I didn't even know that about you. That's such yeah. a, it's such a special thing for me when I know that someone has also looked in the mirror in that state and been like, well, fuck, <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't really get much lower than that is it's like, you don't, uh, you know, lots of things can land you in jail some very righteous things can land you in jail. Nothing yeah. righteous or good lands you in rehab. Like <laughs> that's no. just not a, no. there's no, there's, yeah, there's no like, oh, well, I was trying to save this lady from getting her purse snatched and I knocked it <laughs> in his head. It's like, no, dude, there's no, mm. no good story that lands. I'll say this though. I, the, you know, being in, in rehab with, I mean, you just see the spectrum of, oh shit. Right. Cause it's, you know, we all fall victim to comparisons, right? Oh, I'm not as bad as that guy oh shit, like I could see myself being that person. And so there's a little bit of that slap in the face, wake up. But one of the things that I think I've taken from, whether it's, you know, 12 step or rehabs or other variants of that, it's like twice during our class, that nine week course, we take our adaptive athletes through, we have a root meeting and a root meeting is a lock-in. It's just the staff and the athletes at a different hour. So it's usually in the evening. And it's, a, it's talk about talking and, and really uprooting the reason behind the reason, right? You may be grabbing the bourbon every night. And yeah, the bourbon's a problem, but there's a reason for the reach. Maybe even a reason behind the reason we're aware oh, yes. of for the reach, oh, right? So I, I've taken, again, from my own experiences. And, and again, when you go and you stop for some heroin addicted Marine who's missing his legs, who got blown up. And it's like, I can't relate to a lot of that. But brother, I've been in that, that withdrawal state. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, man, and, and you can start to realize, like, oh, man, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. So then there's this, like, fucked up but common respect or unique understanding. And it's like, okay, so where are we going to go from that? And that's where I think the if, – if, if you don't have some level of support that is feeling like people just authentically show up and go, here's my shit, like, you need, you need to find that. Like it, it could be in a group of same gender, like people, it could be in ceremony through plant medicine. Otherwise it could just be in, in, in a bike club or whatever, but it, it should challenge you to be okay to look for the reason behind the reason. If getting drunk and going to the bike club is the reason, it's probably not the support group you need. You right. know what I'm saying? And that's just like, I, and I love, I go to church, uh, but my church, it's like church tends to be this weird thing, especially in Texas where all of a sudden people like put on, Yep. It's like, no, oh, I don't, no, that's not my, where you walk into our gym, it's the most authentic, real people coming in like, dude, I'm effed up this, that, okay, good. What are we going to do with it? And back to that square one comment, it's like, I kind of dig doing life with people um, that are in that pit and staring square one in the face and just being, I take great pride in walking and being lock, lockstep with them. Uh, until they can see that light for themselves and realize that then they have the ability to enlist and deal that light. Like I worked with a coach for almost two years and he used to say to me all the time, DV, the wound is where the light enters. The wound is where the light enters. Mm. Stop blocking it because that once that life, once that light comes in, how hard is it to see your reflection in the mirror? You just open your eyes. How hard is it to reflect the light that comes in? Just reflect it. And I'm like, oh, back to that simple, not easy, but damn it if it's not true yeah man i think that's that's powerful shit dude well i know you got some stuff to do and i have to go poo 
Let's and, do it. <laughs> morning, morning business. That's right, dude. I love you so much, man. I'm so grateful to know you. I truly well, mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful for the work that you guys do. Um, it, um, it pulls me, you know, when I, I use what your gym and that experience and the feeling that I had the second I walked in there and then all of the feelings that followed, you know, when I look at the state of the world, the state of leadership, I, when I look at all of the shit, dude, I always come back to ATF and go, no, man, there is good in the world and it is self-perpetuating and it is moving and it is active and it is changing lives right now as you sit here and think about all of the bad shit. So I just, yeah, I want you to know that, that I use um, the experience that I had at your gym as, as a lighthouse for me to return to in my brain and my heart when I'm looking at how fucked up the world is. I, I come back to that experience and go, nope, there's as much good as there is evil in the world, if not more. Yeah, but, well, I love you too, man. And likewise, because, you know, it, it, it's just cool to be in life with people that like, dude, you don't pretend to have it all put together. You, you know, you're not some perfect person. You're just like, hey, I'm going to suit up today, do my best and have a lot of fun while I do it. And man, that's just, that's kindred spirits, brother. Love that's you, man. It, man. I love you too, dude. Well, let's, I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Later, bro. Peace. Wowzers. What a guy. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And like I said... Uh, before the podcast, if you haven't checked out um, the Adaptive Training Foundation, you should look them up. Like I said, it's just going to make you cry happy tears and you're going to feel really good um, knowing that these people are out in the world doing the work that they did. Just so profoundly impactful. I mean, with my own eyes, I saw somebody that was told that they would never walk again lifting weights. Like, that's the shit, man. That's like why we're here. That's why we're here. Protect, preserve, and enhance human life. That's the mission statement. That's the goal. And if you're doing that, I fuck with you at a super, super, super hard level. Next week on the podcast, we have Preston Smiles, who is a life coach. Uh, man, similar vibe, man. This dude is just touching lives and enhancing people's human experience uh, at another level. Um, what's really exciting about the podcast with him is him and I don't know each other at all. I've seen him from a glimpse. He's seen me from a glimpse. We got a bunch of uh, mutual friends that have said we should connect. So we're going to connect. And the first time that we're going to connect is via the podcast. And I love doing those because you guys get a witness like a really cool thing. You get to witness me getting to know someone that I don't know. Um, again, the podcast is brought to you by Onnit, uh, one of the most phenomenal human optimization companies in the world. Um, the other product I had mentioned, the, the Alpha Brand Energy Shots earlier, I've been loving the human optimization packs. You get a morning pack, you get a night pack. Um, it can be overwhelming when you're getting into the world of supplements because you don't know what to take. You go check out a website, you're like, holy shit, they got things for my bones, they got things for my guts, they got B vitamins, they got krill oils. They have all these different amazing products and it can be overwhelming because you're like, fuck, which ones do I get? Uh, what's cool about these human optimization packs is they make it super simple. You're getting all their best products and you get your morning pack and your night pack you're getting all the things your body needs sourced from some of the greatest places in the world. We live in such a magical time where we can get all of these things sourced and into a pill form uh, for you to take and completely optimize your human experience. So head to onnit.com, use code satsang at checkout, uh, and you'll get a discount. So that's all I got for you guys. We will talk to you next week. God bless y'all, and go enhance somebody's life today and drink water.